Well done. You've managed to tune into the Rebecca Charlton episode of Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged. Now, she's actually one of my best mates, and over the next hour or so, you'll probably find out why. Now, she's a TV presenter and former bicycle racer, as well as a very accomplished writer. Although her Zoom chats with me look like she's hosting a daytime TV show. They are utterly incredible. She also has a hidden talent outside their ears of aggressively singing Disney songs late at night to strangers in McDonald's. Now, she's always been destined for a career in journalism and broadcasting, which we hear all about, along with her latest projects, which are very, very cool indeed. Netflix recommendations? Well, they should probably come with a public health warning. Uh, So, without further ado, let's get on with the pod. Hello, and welcome. Are you ready? Because it's that time again. Matt Stevens unplugged by Sinus Rebecca Charlton is a TV presenter, NCTJ-accredited journalist, author and voice artist. She's written two books on cycling with Bloomsbury Publishing and can be found presenting and commentating on channels including Eurosport, ITV, Channel 4 and, you know what, I'm going to stop reading her website and tell you what I think of her. She's a great mate and a fantastic pro. She's actually a journalistic Swiss army knife and just like the tweezery bit of a Swiss army knife, she's got hidden talents. I've just veered off a little bit too far into Partridge-esque metaphor, so I think it's time to get on with a podcast. Check it out with your ears. Rebecca, (laughs) note to self, always click those little boxes. I'm so sorry. Well, you know, thought you were a professional. Anyway! It's going so well, isn't it? Well, um, Rebecca... Um, welcome to Matt Stevens Unplugged. Lovely to have you on. Thanks so much for the invite. You know, I'm a huge fan of your podcast. <laughs> I don't know why. That was a bit of a nervous laugh, wasn't it, by me there? Because I'm not too sure if, if you are a fan or not. <laughs> um, but there you go. But no, Rebecca, it, it, it's great It's great to have you on. Um, we are thir- technically 13 minutes late for the pod. We had a few technical issues, um, but... We had a nice chat to warm things up, didn't we? You really always enjoy chatting to me about internet browsers, don't you, and download apps. <laughs> I, I, I feel quite um, quite professional, actually, kind of telling people to, rather than click the link in the email, to cut uh, or to paste the link into their browser, because then you skip your default uh, internet browser. Absolutely. And, th- and this is great life advice for everybody, really. We've all been there. We, we, we certainly have. Uh, f- <laughs> First things first, what I always like to do at the at the opening, if you can hear a whirring sound in the background, it's just my uh, antique la- laptop probably about to take off. Um, I don't think it can handle more than four tabs open at once. What, what have you got? What is it? <laughs> well, it's a MacBook Pro from 2012, but I've had it, re- I've had it um, a different uh, hard drive installed. So it, mm. it's basically quite a modern computer, um, the heart of a modern computer in the body of an antique computer because it's mm. nearly 10 years old. Um, nine years old, this laptop. That's but it's, hard to it's believe that, isn't it? Indeed. But it's got a very old-fashioned fan in it, and that's why it sounds like a helicopter about to take off sometimes. <laughs> so, Rebecca, please could you um, give us a little bit of an insight, or not so much me, because I'm very familiar with where you live, but could you just tell people <laughs> where you are in the world and what you can immediately see around you, just so people get a sense of, of place, really, before we kick off the pod properly? You made that sound really ominous, didn't you? Um, <laughs> I am down on the south coast um, in a little town called Shoreham by Sea, just outside of Brighton. 
And you know when people don't actually know where somewhere is and you just go to the nearest town. So I always tell people I'm from Brighton. But lovely little um, sort of harbour town is Shoreham. And um, I've moved down here recently, uh, leaving London, where I'd lived for many, many years. And uh, it's just absolutely beautiful down here. So I'm literally looking out at the harbour basin right now. And then the sea is just over the road as well. I mean, I have been to your been to your place in between the two lockdowns, and you literally look out of your kind of kitchen diner living room straight out, and you can see boats, can't you? It, you can, and you know what? It's I appreciate it every single day, genuinely, because I've been in London. I'm one of those people. I, I love London, and I never thought I would leave. Actually, I thought I was there for the long haul. Um, but since coming down and having the opportunity to look out the window at boats, it's just such a different place to be. And uh, and the riding is super around here as well. Um, um, I've always loved the sea. Um, I grew up, um, well, I spent a lot of time, should I say, I grew up in London, but I spent a, lot, a hell of a lot of time in Cornwall, uh, where my dad's from. Most of our holidays were down there. And um, there is something, and I think most podcasts at some point or other, we, we end up talking um, to my guests about about the sea and it really is pretty magical isn't it it completely changes your kind of state of being doesn't it there's something so calming and also kind of inspiring about about living or staying near the sea isn't there there really is and I think um you know of course with everything so many people have been through around the world with the pandemic it's just such difficult times for so many people um but I think it has made some people reflect on the way they're living and the opportunity to kind of come out of a way of life they might have been living in before and as I say as much as I love the business of London and as you know I still come up whenever possible or will do when there's not restrictions in place but it's um it's a completely different lifestyle and I think you can forget that you can live like this when when you're just on that treadmill and that grind of living in a city Sorry, Rebecca, I didn't mean to cut across you. This is f- oh, Random question yeah. alert. Can you hear that, Rebecca? <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's very, very early. I've never had... It is time oh. for a random what question. What is happening? Um, just bear with me, Rebecca. I've just had to pace across my uh, loft studio. It's a random question generator. Uh, it's gone off very early. We're only four minutes, 54 seconds into the podcast, and it's, it's kicked off. So I've torn off a the slip of paper from the bottom of the random question generator, which is like a giant supercomputer that I have in, installed. The guys at Sigma, including Niall, installed it on a Sunday a few weeks back. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's given me this question, this question I've never seen before, Rebecca, and I'm obliged contractually to uh, ask you to answer this question as generated by the RQG. Are you ready? Oh, my goodness, I think so. But no, okay. <laughs> it's a good one. This okay. Uh, the randomly question, the, the randomly generated question is: What is the weirdest thing you have seen in someone else's home? Oh my goodness! Do you know what my first thought is? What <laughs> What have I seen in your home? Oh, che- oh. oh, oh, right. My goodness. No, hang on. Okay. Let me think. Let me think. I mean, you know, we're not we're not that weird. Me and Holly, are, are we really? No, it's just a lot of Star Wars. There's a lot of Star Wars memorabilia going on, but that's not weird, you know. That's no, that's, that's to- totally that's normal cool for a, a man of fifty-one. <laughs> exactly. So that's not weird. Um, oh my goodness. Um, I'm actually thinking about the, um, I, I don't know how inappropriate I can be, but the um, uh, rather really random don't. item that many, hmm. many uh, hundreds of thousands of people around the world saw when someone went live onto the BBC with a certain inappropriate object on their 
um, shelving unit behind them for a whole live interview without realising it was there. Um, I don't even know what the topic of the interview was about because everybody fixated, you know, on the fact that there was something on the shelf behind them. Um, right. I'm going to have to say that, and I'm sure you saw this too. Um, so you were doing the interview with this person. No, uh, and this, it, it wasn't me doing the interview. Um, it was in. I'm going to go with this because it was in somebody else's house, and it was live uh, okay. on BBC News. And there was right. a highly, highly bizarre um, and inappropriate object on the shelving behind. And I'm sure many, many people would have seen what that was. I think all we need to say here <laughs> is marital aid. A ma- there was a marital aid yes. on the shelving unit behind, and I think that just uh, sums up the time we're in with everybody bringing. Um, TV cameras into the home, not everybody, but many, many people. And uh, you should always check your background. Indeed. Um, well, I, I think I think I, I think I'm going to answer this question as well. Um, it's what's the weirdest thing you've seen in somebody else's home? I think it's what's the, the weirdest thing I've heard in somebody's home. Just a quick one. I was once in somebody's house uh, doing an interview, uh, just a, a, a kind of basic witness statement. Um, for for a job in the police and I was speaking to this person and um while speaking to them um this person were on stools in their kitchen and and this person just lifted up their bottom and let rip an enormous fart um whilst looking me in the eye and then asked me if I wanted a bag of crisps that's the strangest (laughs) thing that has ever happened to me um, so it's not so much something I've seen; it was something I experienced. It's an experience. And it, was, it was the most bizarre, one of the most bizarre things that I've I, ever experienced. I'm going to sorry, but I can't just leave that there. Um, I've no. got questions, Matt. Please, um, yeah, please. This is a two-way I mean, thing. This isn't just a one-way pod. <laughs> what happened after that? Did you did you speak about it? Was it acknowledged? Um, she didn't say anything. She just she lifted up. It was a, it was a lady. She lifted up her bottom uh, mm-hmm. and. Did a, a quite a loud, a loud trump, uh, and then, as, as if to kind of dismiss it, that it was then she offered me a bag of crisps from a yeah. twenty-four packet of crisps box that was on the kitchen table. Um, yeah, and and the thing that you remember from this uh, experience is the fact that it was twenty-four packets of crisps. It was, a, yeah, it was one of the. <laughs> I just, yeah, that was what I fixated. But anyway. Um, yeah, that that was a very very weird experience, but um, I could go on, but I think it would be it would need a different podcast, uh, Rebecca. Um, okay, moving on from the random question uh, generator, and thank you very much for that answer. Um, just I think because of the kind of very very strange last year or so, and we we are on or about in terms of the UK locking down. It was March, wasn't it? Was it March the twenty third, twenty fourth, or yeah. something? So it's pretty much bang on a year now since, um, and we're still in lockdown, but with thank goodness we've got a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel now mm. for us in the UK, although of course Northern Europe and elsewhere, things are a little bit dif- difficult or different, shall I say. But um, I know so many people within, well, across the board um, in society and in our industry were hit really hard, but I just want to know what your 2020 was like, because I know it was, it was a tough one for you, but how did you manage to kind of pull through? Yeah, I I think I remember the day that we went into lockdown so vividly because I you know I know everybody was in a position where they'll know you know what it perhaps affected at the time. But I was um, in Manchester in the track centre of the velodrome, all set up, dress rehearsal time for um, the Manchester six day cycling. Yeah, and um, you know obviously we have the 
pleasure of working together on on that series. And I was up there for Manchester. You were away somewhere else working at the time, I believe. And it was a case of halfway through just going into a rehearsal, everybody coming together and saying it's it's not safe to hold this event. Everybody's got to leave as soon as possible. And it was such a difficult decision um, for the guys at Six Day to make because they illegally could have carried on. But yeah. they're, as you know, just absolutely brilliant people um, behind the scenes. And they work so hard to make sure that, you know, everybody that attends has the best time. And, and they made the decision painstakingly um, that it needed to be cancelled for rider and public and staff safety. So, you know, for them to make that decision was huge because they were about to open the doors in a few hours time. And so everything got packed down and we all left as, as swiftly as we could to, to be sort of as safe as possible. So I think, you know, it was such a stark day because I realised, you know, this is it. Everything was going to be going that way. And then mm. in the subsequent days, as you know, you know, bike racing, uh, public events, everything that we do day to day, just bit by bit got cancelled. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, you know, I am in a fortunate position that, you know, I've been able to have this mindset. Um, and I've have stayed well, which you know I'm very very grateful for. But I've always just had to stand back and say, you know, I I was, of course, so sad to see essentially our livelihood and our cycling calendar bit by bit disappear. But at the same time, I was just so grateful that I was still well, and you know, it meant essentially staying at home and watching a lot of Netflix and riding a lot of Zwift, which I'll come on to. Um, but you know, I just kept reflecting and thinking you know I'm in a very lucky position and um you know and, and it's tough times for everybody um globally as I said earlier so yeah I think I just kept looking at the bigger picture but to see everything disappear yeah that was it was very sad and obviously looking forward to and excited that so many things are able to come back now but something else as I say is is Zwift um yeah I set up a Zwifting station slap bang in the middle of my living room and have been on it most days and it really did um give me so much motivation day to day um a way to socialize with people when we really were in in the thick of lockdown yeah and I've just absolutely loved it and and I think you know something that people have struggled with um understandably is you you don't realize how busy your lifestyle can be day to day and how active you are without even sort of saying right I'm going to the gym or I'm going to do x amount of exercise and when you're just at home everybody's had to adapt and find other ways to not only keep sort of healthy and fit but but keep that headspace and that mindset healthy as well yeah it's been um i mean like you know riding on the home trainer on zwift has been it's been an an amazing tool isn't it but i think it's as well as being able to hook up with people all over the world and and it's helped with um personally it's helped with me in terms of because of the amount of racing that went it was a, a kind of lifeline in terms of getting work as well you know mm. work doing zwift events and stuff but uh, also it because of how simplified our, our, our days have become, it kind of added a little bit structure. It became, rather than being something that you bolted onto the start at the beginning of the day, for me, my, my ride on Zwift, because um, I, I mean, we could still ride outside, but I, for the first six, two months, six weeks, two months of lockdown, I didn't ride outside. I thought, you know, the, the hospitals are filled to capacity. Mm-hmm. I don't want to risk riding outside. So I, I, I spent a lot of time on Zwift, but it became the, the kind of, as well as starting off this podcast, of which it's lovely to have you a guest, it was basically, that was my day. It kind of became the central focus of, of just routine. Yeah. And as human beings, we all, in, from, in varying degrees, crave that kind of routine. And obviously, as 
people that are very active and have always been doing you know, primarily doing cycling and sports to get that endorphin rush as well, which we're kind of addicted to now, was really, really important for me. Really important. And and that's something interesting to pick up on there is that you didn't ride outdoors and neither did I. And I and I felt I felt, you know, personally myself, I felt quite strongly that I didn't want to go out um, and take any risk that might burden the NHS. And so I did stay at home and, and I was, you know, 100% on the turbo in the first lockdown. Um, and it gave me a tool to do that. So I was really grateful to have it. No, definitely. I mean, sticking to sticking to cycling. I mean, most of this podcast will be about cycling because it's how we not, kind not of um, got to. Um, <laughs> there might be a bit of tech. There's going to be some other stuff a little, little bit later on. So I need you to be in a constant state, Rebecca, of preparedness because you just never know what this uh, oh, podcast might ask. throw at you. We, we've already had a very, very, we've already had a very, very early random question generator. But what I want to do is um, is rewind your life, not literally because I don't. I'm not in possession of a, of a working time machine. But what I'd like you to do is. Cast your mind back, if you can, to your first ever. And this is one of my favourite questions on the pod. Um, Because although we've had people from all over the industry and outside of the industry that I've been fortunate enough to speak to, the kind of big link is the fact we all like bicycles. Um, What's your first memory, Rebecca, of throwing your leg over a bike and going for a trundle? So I'm going to go with the first time I ever raced um, on a I'm going to say velodrome, but it was Preston Park in Brighton. And anyone that knows that will know it's a concrete, flat, <laughs> very, very long piece of tarmac. So um, it's a velodrome, but like a, like a, but not. But not. But yeah, right. we like to call it a velodrome. Uh, it's got a slight, a slight little bit of banking on one of the corners. Okay. Uh, but you do. You have to corner it. Um, so yeah, Preston Park, Brighton, and my dad was very into racing okay. um, from when he was very young as well. So he took me and my brother along to Preston Park for the youth racing um, at the track league. And I would have been entering, it was at least the under nine categories, maybe oh, younger this is quite than young. that. It's under nine, so blimey. Okay. I'm gonna go, yeah, I'm going to go under nines. I think I started my first race when I was about seven. Wow. And they put me into an under nines handicap race. And I just remember having this huge, huge advantage. And I just kept looking back and looking back and looking back. And, I, and the reason I've got such a vivid memory is because we had it on VHS tape. Matt. Oh, brilliant. Um, so that's telling of my age there. Um, so VHS tape, home camcorder video of me and my first race. And everybody, you could just hear them in the background, all the, all the parents going, oh, she just needs to stop looking back. Just commit. <laughs> you know, so I'm this seven-year-old, like, getting my tactical debrief of what I did wrong afterwards. Um, but no, I, I've got really, really happy memories of riding at that track and made a lot of friends there and absolutely got hooked on the sport. And the rest is history. Um, I'm gonna. I've, I've just had. I mean, as we know, uh, Mister. I'm gonna mention him again because he's, he's he's becoming a regular feature. He is a regular feature of of the podcast. It's Mister. Niall Gaffney. He's listening in the background. I'm not gonna invite him in to actually speak, but he just messaged me using um, the WhatsApp platform <laughs> and said, um, "Can we get that tape?" And I'm gonna agree. Is that video in existence? Can you 
can you speak to your parents and maybe get a copy or We're something? We're going to have to see. I mean, I, I was actually thinking, I have no idea. Let, let's go back to tech for a moment. No idea how to convert a VHS tape. Um, but it is in existence. Um, right. Unless they taped Top Gear over it, which I do remember. I think <laughs> oh, my dad no. can actually you taped. I know. I actually think my dad taped over my first national championships with Top Gear. Um, and my mum wasn't too happy about it. Oh no! So we'll we'll put in a call and we'll see what we can do and we'll find a way a to convert it. And I'll come back to you for that one because obviously you're the, the tech expert here. Yeah, I mean, well, even if we could, I mean, get, I mean, a good a good way of doing it is um, even if you can't transfer, uh, sort of transfer. You, I know there's a lot of places now you can send off your VHS and they'll transfer it onto disc or or onto a, onto a um, into a file for you or. Uh, my suggestion would be is play it on your telly and video it on your phone like we used to do back in the olden days. <laughs> they don't have a VHS um, player. Oh, yeah. That's it. Anyway, um, <laughs> let, let, let's let's have that chat afterwards. But that'll we'll be work, lovely. Yeah, we'll work that out. We'll or even, even, Rebecca, a nice little still of you in your cycling kit when you were seven. That oh, I can cute, certainly do that. <laughs> um, okay, then. Another chat about, about that, that day, that memorable day. So you, you did win, did you? Um, I think I it came close to the line. I mean, even though I was given, you know, best part of an entire lap, and as I said before, Preston oh, Park handicap, yeah. uh, by a lap is it's that's about a mile. Um, so, so I had a really uh, decent handicap there, and I think I think I won, but I believe everybody came together on the line. So, you know, All the right. suspense was high actually for that youth race that night. Brilliant. Stuff. And what um, bicycle were you astride? So we weren't allowed back then to ride fixed gears we weren't allowed to be on track bikes okay um which was quite good because I didn't have one small enough back then right um, I believe I was on a rally sort of mountain bike slash hybrid I'm gonna say um okay. but I can confirm that if I can sort out the VHS. Uh, yeah if, if you could put in a formal request um yeah. to, to your parents to get um as much imagery as we can because yeah. this is um um, our, our social media team will actually love to get hold of this. I um, believe it was a pink to purple fade. Um, oh, lovely! Which is kind yeah. of coming back into into vogue, isn't it? Um, oh, it it's, is. it's that lovely fade. I do. It's amazing how many people. We never talk about different bike brands, but especially my guests from the from the UK. How many uh, rally different iterations of rally bikes that we had as youngsters? You know, girls' bikes, boys' bikes. I mean, there was obviously a big difference back then. You know, rally burners, BMXs. I I, I do love. Um, talking about the first ever bike that, that we got on, which is it, when you think about the kind of journey it's of, that, that we've all kind of taken for that, those first ever rides as kids, how important it was, because most kids like riding bikes, but to end up still working because of how powerful and important the bicycle is, I mean, without getting too soppy, it, it's kind of, it's amazing really, isn't it? That, you know, how wonderful a machine how wonderful an invention um and how liberating the 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 little simple bicycle can be and and how important it is and how amazing it is to get given one as a kid your first ever bike it's kind of mind-blowing isn't it it's so important and it's only now that I reflect back on how much of my life it's shaped you know I can't really state that enough because it, it forged a pathway for me not only in my career but you know confidence the way I kind of um grew up and the friends I had and 
dancer because I was in, you know, a lot of that was from being on a bicycle. So I think it played a huge, huge role, which, you know, you don't realise at the time, do you? When you're a kid and you're just enjoying it. But, you know, it really opened so many doors to me to go off and compete at a young age and and just enjoy the simplicity of it. Um, But I just, I do remember the early, the early memories and just being on whatever bike, I was going to say fit me, but that wasn't always the case because I got a lot of hand-me-downs from my older brother. <laughs> so when right. he grew out of his bikes, I, uh, you know, I got the upgrade, um, but they're always too big for me. So it was, uh, <laughs> you know what it's like at that age, kind of trying to lean down to the pedals. Um, you just, the thing is, you're never really, I remember never really being phased. Whatever bike that you got on, you kind of just adapted. Yeah. And, and I think it was in a different time. Um Especially when I got a bike, it was it was not. Oh, is this the only bike you've got? Oh, why couldn't I've got a better one? It's just no. Oh wow, this is amazing, and I'm, I'm just going to adapt to it and and enjoy what it can do because ultimately it gives you this freedom. And 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 as a youngster, it's kind of what you crave, isn't it? Is freedom is going out, always wanting to spend. I think you you would have been the same. Similar upbringings in terms of the amount of time that we actually spent outside playing, really. You know, and uh, and and the bike gives you that extra freedom to explore a little bit further away from home, doesn't it? It really did. I remember those days going out and I, the thing that really stands out is the first time I rode a proper racing road bike um, as opposed to racing on a mountain bike because, as I say, as a, as a kid, I was just riding what I was given. Um, and then, yeah, I got an upgrade from the parents to uh, drop handlebars and it was so Ooh. fast. I just yeah. couldn't proper believe racer how fast it was and then I didn't need that handicap Matt I was uh, smashing round when other kids were on mountain bikes <laughs> I mean when I remember getting on the first bike I had was a was a girl's bike um, my first ever it was a I can't remember the name of it it was just plain it was re- um, kind of Ferrari red actually with a shopping basket on the front oh, nice. with, a, with a step through step through crossbar um, <laughs> so it was a you know a women a kind of woman's design but I I just absolutely loved it and it must have been maybe eight seven or eight I think I had tiny little bikes before that I can't quite remember them but I got this for Christmas and it it was actually wrapped up leaning near the tree in the living room um but I just had so much fun on that bike for about a year or two and then before I got a proper kind of bike my first drop handlebar bike I don't think I got till I was like 13 it was quite late I was just riding around on whatever my dad and my mum kind of gave me which generally was second hand yeah but um I just and then finally when I did get my first road bike was was second hand but to see to be because when cycling's in your family and you see pictures I mean it wasn't a little bit of Tour de France on the telly but a lot of magazines with images of people you know, racing bikes to get your first racer with those big and the although it was a kid-sized bike the wheels looked massive didn't they when yeah, you're a kid yeah. and the drop handlebars it was like oh my god that's a proper racing bike you know with five gears <laughs> I, just, I just remember being absolutely absolutely kind of blown away by by it but um yeah, and I still like. I still love bikes now. But yeah, uh, I was but, the same. I was so grateful, just so grateful to yeah to feel fast and to be given a bike to ride. You know. Well, okay. You talked a little bit about how you know cycling kind of opened the doors and how kind of freeing it was for you. I mean, and you're obviously what you're deeply embedded within the cycling cycling industry now. But I'm and, and I think we have uh, just as mates had this kind of conversation before. But if you could just share um to the to the listeners how you ended up doing what you're doing now was it by design or was it by just 
your career just unfolding kind of randomly and you taking the opportunities or making making kind of random decisions. So how did you get to the point you are now, Rebecca, um, working in the cycling industry? So it's, that's a really, really important, well, interesting, sorry, question, because I, a lot of people have a perception that not only myself, but a lot of people just fall into what they do, which, you know, I know can be the case, but I think people often think that I kind of rode a bike and then, yeah, fell into the journalistic side, but it was very, very much planned. Um, and, and the journalism and the broadcast side, that was the bit that was planned and actually coming into cycling wasn't, which, you know, right. again, in, hi- in hindsight is a bit interesting, but um, from as early as I can remember, I used to just sit and watch BBC news or breakfast programs and say to my mom, this is what I want to do. I want to be a broadcast journalist. And I decided right. this at a ridiculously young age and I remember her being like, okay, well, we can think about this later. And I was already <laughs> like, right, how am I going to make this happen? It's going to be a very busy, dedicated career. So I need to work out how I'm going to do this, this and this and juggle right. this. And she's like, well, you know, <laughs> I don't think we need to, to get ahead of ourselves. But with that was actually really, really supportive. So, you know, I just wanted to get involved with en- everything and anything um, to do with journalism and, and TV um, and so I did my first um, sort of work experience when I was 13 and had my first sort of local news article if you like printed and then just got every opportunity I possibly could to write or to to be involved in in broadcasting so uh, up until the point I went to university um, I'd yeah taken every opportunity I could and then I went to Bournemouth and studied journalism okay. came, came away with a, a degree there specializing in broadcast and after that went kind of into mainstream press really I was working at a publishing house called EMAP um, okay. which has changed uh, names several times but it was really the heyday of magazine journalism and it was such an exciting place to be for me having wanted so badly to get into that field and and then to sort of walk into this shiny magazine publishing house in in central London and and have an opportunity to work on magazines I've been a huge fan of you know that was just amazing I worked on Empire magazine um, oh wow that's one of of my favorite I mean I'm a big movie buff and I used to I don't buy it so much now but I used to love buying and reading Empire magazine yeah, and so as you can imagine, you know, sitting down to a title like that and, and meeting all the existing writers was just so exciting. And that was straight out of university at sort of 20, 21. So that was, you know, an amazing experience. And I went on to work for women's sort of magazines and, and the more mainstream side. And as I say, you know, business was booming for magazines. Um, and I was sort of still dabbling in in track racing, but you know, not a huge amount, but I was still obviously hugely passionate about cycling. And I went along mm. to one of the women's national Omnium races, um, I think at Newport Velodrome one day and, and got chatting um, to somebody that had uh, an opportunity in, in publishing in cycling and said, you know, he, he was almost just surprised that I wasn't already working in the cycling industry. You know, he was saying, well, there's not, you know, I have to say there weren't many female journalists who'd ridden the sport and raced the sport that were coming through the door and so he said you know I'm gonna um, line you up an opportunity with a with a publisher who's looking for somebody to come on and join the team and that's when I went into the cycling side of it and it really just went from there um, but that was yeah a good couple of years after I'd worked on sort of everything else in in publishing. And obviously you you was was that with cycling was cycling weekly wasn't it so actually it wasn't cycling weekly that i started with actually it was um 
was called Magicalia Publishing back then, which then I think became Factory Media. Okay. And they did websites like Road uh, Road Cycling UK, um, yeah. Bike Magic, and they had and they were launching a women's specific website called SheCycles.com. And so I was okay. on the launch team for that, and it was very interesting because we, you know, we worked hard on that um, launch and uh, had a brilliant editor called Bex Hopkins, who was very very talented off road racer, and we obviously really wanted that to work and happen but it just wasn't getting the traction it wasn't getting the the audience or the support it sort of deserved and and that folded um and so that was a really interesting point because it was almost like we were trying to push for this and it felt a little early the you know the the appetite wasn't necessarily there and then so you know a few years later obviously things have had changed so so much um, but that's where I started. And then it was from there that I actually went into doing broadcast and then went to Cycling Weekly. Right. I mean, and at, at that time, I mean, this is um, o- over a decade ago, roughly, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it is over kind of, yeah, yeah, is, that, is that roughly kind yeah. of, actually, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, just yeah. to put it, I mean, and, and as we both know, <laughs> a lot has changed um, in in many, many ways for different mm. parts of the kind of industry. And um, I just want to know, what if you if you could explain um, your experience in primarily, especially moving into the cycling industry? Although you, you started, you know this this, this female um, uh, female cycling kind of website that kind of didn't get any traction. I mean, what was it actually like as a female working in <clears throat> still a male dominated industry? But things are changing, and things are changing for the better. Mm. And I, I think I think there's still a lot to do, but. Back then, over a decade ago, what was your experience like working in a male-dominated industry? Was it just there weren't that many opportunities, or were you? Did you find it very, very hard just because you were a woman to get across your kind of views and your kind of experiences? Do you think that you were offered the respect that you deserved back then, um, or do you think it was just something that was almost like institutionalized, uh, rather than somebody's direct intent to kind of kind of sideline you? What, what, what were your kind of thoughts? Yeah, it's. it's- as you say, such a different place to be now. Um, it's a very exciting place to be now. Um, so I did actually work it out. It's 15 years ago. 15, right, okay. Say it. 15 years um, since I first went into yeah, the cycling side of things. And um, yeah, it was very different back then. And, and I've obviously given this quite a lot of thought as to what I truly felt like, because with so much positivity now, but with still so much to do, you are sort of constantly analysing a little bit um, where it's come from. And I would say I was very fortunate because I went straight into the fold of a group of colleagues, um, albeit all male, apart from the editor Beck, who I mentioned. Yeah. Um, sh- uh, they were so supportive to me, so, so supportive. You know, they right. invited me into the fold. They gave me the job opportunity. They put me into a fairly senior position um, because right. they respected the the. the degree sorry I had um and were absolutely brilliant it was it was the best um, network to be part of and one of the people that was brilliant was Guy Andrews who launched Roulette magazine yes and he was just brilliant to work with and there wasn't a moment ever that I felt that gender came into it with him he was a brilliant mentor and role model and we all used to go riding together and and share those experiences so so that was really really good but where it wasn't good and where it was tremendously difficult was outside of that office environment so I was almost in that bubble of feeling like there was parity and that I was very much part of the team and my gender didn't come into play um 
And just to to say, I was working not only on this um, women's website launch at the time, but I was working in a senior writer role on the road cycling website as well. So I was spanning both of those things. So when I went off to the trade shows like Eurobike um, and, you know, mostly the European trade shows, I'd say, and, and sometimes in the UK, unfortunately, as well, I'd go as an editorial representative and try to talk to brands about what I needed to cover on the online magazine that that month or that week and people largely would look me up and down and say well are you from the sales team you know what what's your sales pitch I'd say no no no. I need to talk to you about your products because I'm here to gather information for editorial and it it was I can't you know it's so different now that it's crazy to think back but it really was that bad people made a judgment based on my gender or largely maybe what I was wearing um and decided I couldn't possibly be writing about cycling and I had to explain myself over and over and over and I had people make comments like oh we'll, we'll get you on a bike next wouldn't that be crazy and I'm like yeah I've, I've got a racing background um actually and you know I do I do know what I'm talking about funnily enough and it was like a case of having to constantly prove myself constantly convince people that I was allowed in that room and that I was allowed to be talking about bikes and you know it it thankfully seems crazy now but I did have to fight through that constantly and it and it's just got better and better and better but but I do like you know think it's important to note these things because I as you know um I'm so passionate about no one who comes into our industry feeling like that. So a young female coming in, I don't want them to have to go through that. And I changed the way I dressed back then. I went from... um, So you kind of conformed a little bit, did you? Is that what you... I did, yeah. You you felt like you had to. It made my life easier. And that is really wrong to say, but I did. I went and you know how I like to dress. I I express my personality in the way I dress. I, I love a bit of floral. But because I went to that first trade show possibly you know I don't remember but maybe in a dress and I got looked at like I didn't belong and so I looked around me at my male peers and I thought right next show I'm wearing trainers mountain bike t-shirt tie my hair back maybe I'll get taken seriously and and that is just not the way it should have been or should you know how I should have responded to it but it was a constant fight that it was exhausting um and now again I keep sort of going back to it but I'm so happy that I can now truly be myself in my industry and have that respect. And and that is a far cry from how it was. Well, it's a really nice point to kind of pause, like pause the podcast, because what I want to look at in a, in, a, in a little while is the projects that you're working on now. And um, and after a very difficult period for yourself and and, and elements of the industry, things things are looking up and you, you seem to be pretty busy right now. You've got a lot of nice projects that I've kind of spied. And so we'll talk about those in a minute. But now, Rebecca Chattleton, you're in my phone as Chattleton. Uh, there was a spelling mistake. I've never, never actually changed it. Uh, you call Charlton, I call you Chattleton. But Rebecca, as you know, because you are you, yeah. you were born and raised in Shoreham by the Sea. So it's time... <laughs> For the Shoreham by the Sea quiz. Take it away, Niall. The Shoreham by Sea quiz. The Shoreham by Sea quiz. Now it's time. For the Shoreham by Sea quiz. <laughs> That's Niall there flexing his jingle muscles. Um, oh, uh, can, can, I get, can I get your feedback on the jingle there? I, I love it. I love it. I'm going to have that um, as my ringtone. <laughs> yeah, and it's actually. 
I thought it was Shoreham by the sea, but it's Shoreham by sea. It's just well, another. That's and a talking spot point in itself. Shoreham by sea. Everyone thinks it's Shoreham on on the sea. Shoreham on sea. Shoreham by the sea. It's Shoreham by sea. Shoreham by sea. I actually thought for a minute, but that that Nyla actually got it wrong and he'd not put the amount of, right amount of words in. <laughs> but then I I'm checking on my on my my, on my notes. No, he got it right. Um, he's got it absolutely right. Thank you for that. Uh, but no, I've I've spent quite a long time actually uh, during my pre- preparatory phase of the podcast researching where you live, and I've come up with four questions about Shoreham by sea. Okay. Um, um, don't stress because. Um, all my um, kind of hometown quizzes are multiple choice. So you're not going to be put oh, on the I spot to kind of give me choice, so okay. multiple choice. So, so it's a little bit less stressful. And if in doubt, you can kind of have a bit of a guess and you've got a reasonable, we've got 25% chance of getting it right. Mm-hmm. So Rebecca, um, got four questions for you. The first of which is coming up now. Okay. I just need to tee something up for a moment because there's some, there's an okay. added element to this particular question. Okay. All good. Right. Um, with the coast, the downs and the river Ardur, Shuram-on-Sea and the surrounding area support many wading birds uh, and gulls. But there's one particular type that attempts to breed on the coastal shingle. Um, what is it? So there's a bird that attempts to breed on the coastal shingle. It's a particular name of the bird. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it called A, the curled plover? Is it called B, the hooped plover? C, the ringed plover. No going on Google. Or is it D, the pied plover? Oh uh, plover is spelled P-L-O-V-E-R. And what I've I, I recently was in Shuram by the Sea, or a couple of months back, and I recorded the audio from this particular bird just to help you. So here we go. There you go. It was, it was right by the sea. You can hear the water in the background really setting a kind of lovely context. But that is the plover. But what is it properly called, <laughs> Rebecca? Diligent preparation there, Matt. Mm. Um, oh, my God. I'm completely guessing. Um, I'm going to go for B. You're going to go for the hooped plover? Yeah. <laughs> it's incorrect. <laughs> I'm sorry. The correct answer is the ringed plover. So you were nearly right. Uh, you were nearly right. Um but um, so, not the most auspicious of starts. But oh, to be God. honest with you, you weren't too far away because a hoop is almost the same as a ring. <laughs> okay, question number two. Okay. Okay. Bright Brighton City Airport, which lies just to the west of Shoreham, as you look at the map, is the UK's oldest licensed airport, still in operation, and within it has an Art Deco Grade Two listed terminal building. Mm. But my question to you, Rebecca Chatterton, is this. What Tom Hanks movie has a scene filmed at Brighton City Airport? Is it A, Saving Private Ryan, B, The Da Vinci Code, C, The Terminal, D, Angels and Demons? Saving Private Ryan. It's incorrect. (laughs) It's the the Da Vinci Code. (laughs) 
Oh, for goodness sake. I know, I know. Oh, that but was I a very educated guess. I didn't even know any of them had been... I didn't know uh, Tom Hanks had been in Shoreham Airport. Yeah, he, he spent a little bit of time in, in, in Shoreham uh, at the airport. In the, uh, actually, I don't know if it was in the scene himself, but the, right. the movie was shot there. Mm. Um, it was a Tom Hanks film. Um, but no, uh, check it out. It's the oh, oldest licensed airport still in operation in the United Kingdom. Well, so I, do know, I do know the airport well. Obviously not well enough. Um, and I'd just no. like to see if I could claw a point back on you Matt because it's actually the Go river it. it's the river Ada it's the river Ada how did I what how did Ad, I pronounce Ada. Adua. 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 So the Ada <laughs> so say it again the Ada it's the river Ada but it's spelt A-D-U-R so it's quite an unusual spelling isn't Adua. it the Ada so yeah. uh, well I've been educated uh, in relation to that pronunciation <laughs> but uh, so far Rebecca Oh. No questions right. So mm. you really need to try and pull, pull it around. You've still got two questions to go. Plenty okay. of time. Oh, We're halfway oh, there. Oh, right. mm. Okay. Uh, question number three. Mm. Famed for his wide hair and ability to hit the high notes, English singer-songwriter Leo Sayer was born in Shoreham-by-Sea. But in what year? Really? He was. Leo Sayer of Leo Sayer fame. I don't know anything um, about my own town. So was he born in Ooh. A, 1944? B, 1946, C, 1948, or D, 1949? <clears throat> I was going to play a bit of Leo, um, a Leo Sayer song, mm, mm. but I've, I fear that we might get the podcast removed by his record company. And I'll sing a little bit for you. Could you? Yeah. I feel like dancing. Ooh. Oh, yeah, that's wrong. Oh, I got it wrong. Oh, I think I mixed in um, another song. Um, oh, no. I feel like dancing. No. Oh, I can't get it. Anyway, you've you know remixed, what I mean, You've auto-remixed something there. I have, indeed. Oh, oh. 1948. Correct. Yes. <laughs> well done, oh, Rebecca. Oh, I loved that little ding. That, that's, isn't it lovely when you get that little ding? Oh, just to, it's worth it's, it. It's uh, crystal clear, mm. isn't it? Um, for a bonus Leo Sayer point, <laughs> uh, in which country does Leo Sayer now live? A country, indeed, which he is now a citizen of. So where he does he... So he no longer lives in the UK, no longer lives in insurance. No idea. Um, so guess a country. Guess a country. Um, bonus point. Other side of the world. Other side? Mm. <laughs> America. No, uh, he lives <laughs> and is now a citizen of Australia. Great fact. Oh, I wasn't going to get that. I wasn't going to get that. By the sea That's quiz. Okay. No, it was just random, that. but I always like to offer a cheeky little bonus mm. point there. Although I am going to give you half a point mm. for correcting me on the pronunciation Brilliant. of Thank you. Do the I get river. a ding? Can I get another? So, yes. There you go. So you've got one and a half points so far. So coming to the end of the quiz, mm-hmm. question number four. Okay. And this is a corker of a question. Mm. Shoreham on Sea. By Sea. Uh, sorry, by Sea. Sorry. <laughs> Let me just cross that out. Shoreham by Sea point. currently has two McDonald's restaurants. <laughs> One is situated in the Holmbush shopping oh, centre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But upon which road is the other? Oh, my okay. God. Eastern Avenue. Oh, can't I just read out the other questions? <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it A, Eastern Avenue? <laughs> B, Brighton Road? C, Dolphin Road, or D, Leo Sayer Drive. You got it right. It's oh Eastern God. Avenue. I should not have answered that so quickly. That's very worrying. 
See, I, I know you're a Mucky D's fan. <laughs> I am. Uh, and I'm a vegetarian, so it doesn't even add up. But you, but the, but you know, I know this isn't sponsored by Mookie D's, um, but we most people from time to time love the Golden Arches, and it's amazing that you actually knew the road. That says a lot about you, Rebecca Charlton. But too much. I'm going to give you a bonus point because you didn't even need to listen to the other questions, yes, uh, and I will. When I next see you, I'll buy you a a box of uh, of vegetarian nuggets. Fantastic stuff. So you've got um, one. 1948, two, two and a half points out of a, a total of four. So well done. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I clawed it back at the end. You did. And what a magnificent quiz that that, that really, really was. Uh, took me a lot of time to the research there. But again, it was worth tenuous. It, Matt. Some it was of the links really to, to Shoreham were worth tennis, but well done there. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. A uh, little bit. Uh, ten- oh, okay. Um, Actually, a quick a quick question here. Actually, actually, no, no. What I think we'll do is talk about the kind of projects that you're doing at the moment. That's, I think it's a nice little segue from what you how we ended the last part. Of, mm. Yeah, of the, <laughs> the project is McDonald's. But um, <laughs> talk to me, Rebecca. Something that's hot off the press, and and I and I really want to help kind of publicise it as well and give it a little bit of a push. Uh, talk to me um, about Bunny Hop. Oh, well, thank you, firstly, for that. Um, So we finished filming a pilot episode of a brand new women's cycling show called The Bunny Hop yesterday. So I'm obviously very excited about this. Um, So it was a case of two people that you know well, um, Phil Sheehan and Rose Manley of La Padel Films. Um, they approached me and asked if I wanted to present um, the new show that they, they'd they sort of come up with and were working on. And of course, I jumped at the chance to talk about women's uh, cycling. And it's going to be dedicated um, in sort of the most part to, to women's bike racing and the UCI World Tour, which is exciting. So yeah, jumped at the chance for that. And we filmed um, a few bits over the last couple of weeks. And it should be out. Well, it's definitely out this week. So um, I'm not sure when people will be tuning in and listening to this, but it should be out by the time uh, everyone's listening. And, and where can people um, find that show, Rebecca? So the first episode will be available on YouTube on um, a channel called The Bunny Hop. Okay. And also it will be uploaded to Instagram TV on Instagram, <laughs> funnily enough, um, on the handle thebunnyhop underscore cc. So thank you firstly so much for giving it a shout out. We're really excited no, about no it. And it's um, myself, Rose Manley, um, who presents the Cycling Podcast Femina, um, and yeah. ex-pro Molly Weaver, um, and also Lizzie Banks. And we're, um, yeah, all talking about the racing so far in the season with some really fun quirkiness from Ruth Winder as well from Trek Segafredo. So, to how did that come about? Because I mean, look, I'm, I, I only, I, it's not something that we've uh, that I've spoken to you about, no. um, and I, and I just saw it online the other day, and then it kind of gave you guys a, a kind of follow, and it it does look like a lot of fun. So, how did that? Can you explain a little bit about the genesis of that of that new project? Yeah, so um, Rose and Phil are incredible sort of producers. Well, they guys are, I know very well. Works yeah. a lot with those guys, yeah, and, and they're brilliant, aren't they? You know, they. They just produce such beautifully shot uh, pieces of television and, and both have worked vastly, as you know, in in sort of all walks of television. I believe Phil was at the BBC for many, many years. Um, so just incredibly experienced hands, but also massive fans of cycling and very experienced in the field of cycling. So, you know, 
you couldn't get two best people really to, to pull a production together and they as I say asked me if I would be happy to to front it and of course I jumped at it but um yeah it's it's really their baby their creation and they just wanted to bring more women's bike racing um, and analysis to as wide an audience as possible so I think that's really their mission is to yeah to get all eyes on it and for it to show people the delights of the sport without having to sort of hunt high and low, which is you know fantastic that it's going to be readily available on YouTube. That's cool. I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the first episode. So um, if you are listening, give uh, give the Bunny Hop a bit of a follow um, on Instagram. Subscribe to their channel. Um, and I think the bottom line is it's just getting more people behind um, the women's side of the sport. It is in a far better place than it mm. used to be, but it still needs people to get behind it and push it and support things like this because um let's be honest a few years ago something like this might not have even got off the ground but it still needs people to actively help try and promote it and i think all of us within the industry need to give a bit of a helping hand still i I really think people should kind of get behind projects like this um share them uh, and then let people decide basically but um it's important that they get seen i think and um so nice one i'm looking forward to seeing that rebecca now i mean we we've known each other for quite quite a long time now, and um, we've we've been um, and obviously with our respective kind of other halves have been on Zoom recently, and um, as because we can't see each other in real life, and I've learned quite a lot more about you. And one of the most interesting things about you is the fact that obviously you you're a presenter, you're a voiceover artist, you're you're a journalist as well. You've written a couple of cycling books, but um, can you talk a little bit about some of the other projects outside of outside of cycling that that you've written about? I mean, one of them involves um it's um Ronald Fines isn't it yeah so you, I know it's, it's such a I just love cycling but I love other stuff and I just think that I'd want you to talk about this because it's fascinating talk to me about how you got involved yeah well thank no thank you and it, it's really exciting to be working on something completely and utterly different cycling as much as you know mm. that is such a huge part of my life absolutely love it um but I'm also working on another project behind the scenes um I'm working with an explorer called Mark Wood okay. and he's a bit of an unsung hero really he's he's um sort of summited Everest many times and he's actually saved lives up there um and he's not somebody that shouts about his own success um so I was working behind the scenes with him and Serrano Fines on a book that came out about a year ago now um about exploring about ice polar exploring um in in particular and he came to me so this is Mark um and said um Ranulph and I are working on this book and would you be happy to support us with it because essentially when these guys are out obviously exploring and doing what they do they need somebody to to pull their experiences together and to be a writer that that can sort of translate that into a book that that an audience is going to you know uh, receive at the end of the day and they don't always have the time or the resource to be putting pen to paper so I've been working with Mark where he will you know send me voice memos or give me a call and talk me through what he's up to and I'll be able to um you know essentially write that down and put that into a bit of ghostwriting for him um and yeah there's a lot still to come um in in the planning stages but he's planning something pretty huge and exciting for for when it's possible to get that mission um going ahead and i'm going to be the writer for for that expedition so that's that's wonderful very very excited about it yeah 
I mean, it, it, the, the, I think that I can't actually remember. It might have been a, a bit of a drunken night out in Probably. London when you, you when you mentioned it to me. <laughs> not, not so much a, a Zoom one, but I think it's just it's lovely when you kind of discover different things about people. Um, and and, and I, I do really, really kind of love the fact that you were so kind of modest about it. And it, I don't even know how it came up in conversation because it wasn't just something you offered up. Look at who I've worked with. It was just something that randomly came up in conversation. Yeah, so it was um, Suki Gallagher-Richards um, is a very good friend of mine, and she works as a, I guess, a sort of celebrity sport agent. And she sort of said to me, and it's interesting you mentioned that I, I hadn't brought it up, because I think people know you for, for what you predominantly do, and for me, obviously, that's that's being in the cycling world. Um, and she said, oh, I don't suppose you'd be interested in, in this. These, these are the people I'm working with at the moment. And I said, actually, I've done mountaineering myself, obviously not to that level. Um, but I've, you know, got a bit of a background. It's something I didn't, that something I didn't know. I didn't know that. That's another thing so, I've just uncovered. Yeah. So my, my dad does a lot of ice climbing, or again, when there's not a pandemic. Um, and so I did a lot of rock climbing and went to quite high altitude when I was younger. And so it's something, again, that really fascinates me and getting to know the personalities in that sport and, and that world as well so Suki sort of said to me again over a glass of wine or a few um I don't suppose this is something you're interested in as a ghost writing project that's how it initially started um and then they really liked the sort of extracts that I put together to to work with them on on the book um that Mark's now yeah speaking to me about doing much more with with a very big expedition coming up and I will update everyone once I I know that I definitely can in the in the public but um it is going to be pretty big um he's going for a Guinness record and yeah it will be a really exciting one when I can talk about it but yeah again it was it was through somebody that I'm very good friends with who who works in in that industry and said I don't suppose you'd like to get involved and very much did I mean off the back of that then it's clear that you're the type of person that occasionally likes to be outside their comfort zone or was it or was that always within your comfort zone were you always maybe waiting for something else to come along outside of our our industry you know it's a an industry that we know inside and out and 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 yourself you've you've not only raced but you've pretty much done kind of pretty much everything got a pretty 360 degree view on the industry itself which is you know which enables you to do a a lot of different things but to step outside of the industry and write about another one of your interests must be a lot of fun so I've that was a really woolly way of asking you. Do you like working outside your comfort zone? I do. I really do. It, it, I always, I, I always push outside of my comfort zone. To be honest, I'm that. I'm very much that person that will say yes to an exciting opportunity and then put the phone down and go, "Huh? <laughs> can okay, I? Okay, I've, I've now got to learn. I've got uh, yeah, to do can this. Can I now. do this? Can I speak that language? Can I actually? Um, can, you know, oh my goodness, so bad I'm fine. Um, so yeah. yeah, it is one of those where I will just say yes, because I love the fact that once I've said yes, I have to deliver. <laughs> and I chase that adrenaline. I've always loved it. And I've, I've spoken to other journalists about this. And I'm very much someone that loves chasing a deadline. I love live television, as you know, because yeah. it does constantly push you out of your comfort zone. You don't know what's going to happen. And, and you know, as we've had in our working environment a lot, you can be sat with Elia Viviani and someone says, right, we're suddenly switching in Mark Cavendish or we're, we're just going to switch this interview in and out. And it happens so quickly and you roll with it. And I would say even within cycling, you and I often get pushed out of the comfort zone because it's live and it's dynamic and 
anything can happen um, when you're carrying a broadcast. So I think even when you know your subject matter, it, it's a constantly changing and challenging environment to be working in. And also, I don't know about other sports to this extent because I've obviously not worked in them um, massively or as much as I have done in cycling. But I think the cycling audience are so comprehensive with their understanding of the sport that you can't miss a beat. And actually that yeah, constantly yeah. keeps you on your toes because we want to deliver the best possible content to people that know, you know, as much as we do about the sport. And um, I think, yeah, I think that's a constant um, push to, to just be better every time. I think, I think you're quite right. I think the, um, there's still people that kind of watch cycling casually, although that, I think that kind of model is changing with the, with, with the kind of the way that we view a lot of sporting content mm. now, but, but I think generally speaking, people who, will make you know um will intentionally turn on cycling to watch a particular race uh, i think uh, the cycling audience is increasingly becoming more discerning um mm. for, for many many reasons the way that cycling's fed to us the the amount we're all on social media a hell of a lot and there's a lot of you know uh, a lot of teams are, are constantly on social media riders uh, are on social media brands are on social media um there's a lot of outlets to give you information about cycling from the basics right the way through to some of the most com- complex aspects of our sport. There's a wealth of information out there, which is very easily accessible, which is different than even 10 years ago. And then before that, it was basically Cycling Weekly, or a couple of a handful of magazines, wasn't it? And, and, and the knowledge was then passed down through clubs and people that you spoke to. But now you have to be on your toes. Otherwise, mm-hmm. and, and if you get found out on social media, um, as, as we both know, um, r- r- kind of, Good and bad. Um, people are very vocal on social media, aren't they? As yeah. well, in terms of, uh, and they, and you'll be found out if you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting you know, world to be part of. And I was just talking the other day about how much I appreciate the, the community that we have online. And um, you know, people are largely so supportive of what I do. And I, I never take that for granted. I think people you know, want you largely to succeed and, and want to support you. And I think that's wonderful. But like you say, you know, if if you go into something ill-prepared or you, you aren't delivering the information that you need, yeah, you do 100% get called out on it. And people have got the ability to do that online. And, and that's something that, again, is very different to when I I very first started yeah it's i mean so what do you like most about your job because you do you do various you know you, you do various things i mean yeah i know one of the things that you do the most different to what i do although i do a little is is hosting live events don't you you know award yeah. ceremonies and things like that you're the mc at a lot of events i mean what do you what do you really like getting kind of um what, what, what really kind of lights your fire, as it were, in terms of the work that you do, which kind of excites you? Yeah, I think when we get to do six day, for example, and you've yeah. got the crowds and you've got the TV cameras and, you know, you've got all the elements of that adrenaline chasing that I spoke about earlier. Um, so for me, live television is the absolute thrill. And, you know, I'm very fortunate and hopefully later this year um, we'll be back on the Tour of Britain and the Women's Tour. And yep. again, you know, the, the Tour of Britain coverage is is live interviews and you're getting that reaction, as you well know, from riders in the raw emotion when they finished a bike race of, of, you know, a very important day for them. And having that privilege of 
plunging in, not knowing what's going to happen next, but delivering that to a TV audience. I mean, that's just my absolute buzz in what I do. Um, but that said, I think because, I mean, you alluded to the fact that I do quite a different, you know, a few different elements within in the sport and within my field and everything brings something slightly different. I've done a lot more writing during lockdown um, with mm. things like the mountaineering um, and exploration projects. And actually quietly sitting at my laptop is such a contrast that I have days where I really, really adore doing that. And the creative writing style um, that I can kind of free flow with a bit more um, when I've had more time to do creative writing, I've really enjoyed that as well. So I think having all the different elements that I have, I'm, I'm just so fortunate and lucky to have that. And I, again, don't take that for granted. I think I um, feel pretty much the same way. I mean, I've, I mean, with with Sigma Sports and um, and working working with Niall, who's who's listening to this as as we record it, um, there's a lovely creative process um, in, in relation to the kind of videos we create. That's more of a cerebral side of it, um, but there's nothing also like, and I, and I love that. I love I love the creative side of of what I'm doing with Sigma and a few other brands as well. Um, but and and that that quietness, that thinking about what we're going to do but then there's nothing like being at a live bike race is there whether it's like in the velodrome at the six day which is a real buzz because it's like this cauldron isn't it you've got this mm. kind of crowd there and it really is um you come off at 10 o'clock having finished one of those nights especially on the friday and the saturday at the six day and you are a buzzing it's like mm. it's like you've actually ridden the event it reminds me of actually the adrenaline rush of of actually bike racing but uh, being at the finish of a grand tour which you've done and at the tour of britain you know inter- interviewing riders and and understanding the right things to say at the right kind of time to kind of make sure that you're getting information across to the audience so, so they're informed about what's going on, but also respecting the athletes at the same time and and, ask me, and, and at the same time simultaneously being asked to do different things by a producer. That, that is, and it's a very intense period of time after a race when that goes on. And I, I do love the kind of maelstrom um, of, the, of those moments and that's what I, I really love and it's like and getting the most out of what can quite often be a very very stressful situation with athletes that quite often don't really want to talk to you on the odd mm. occasion as well that makes it a real challenge doesn't it it does it and you feel all the more satisfied if you do again bring a really good interview to an audience because you know how challenges challenging it is and I think that um everything you mentioned there is something people don't see obviously when it happens behind the scenes but you have got a hundred different elements in your head haven't you when you you might need to literally put one or two questions to to a rider at the end of a bike race or at the end of a stage um but you're thinking about timing the producer in your ear you're thinking about yeah the athlete might have had a really bad day you're thinking about how to treat that with sensitivity but you're also trying to explain to viewers that might have tuned in just now and don't know what's happening so you know you could really put a lot of thought into just delivering one or two questions can't you yeah oh no 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 uh, sorry rebecca i can hear a funny sound again oh, oh. Random question alert. oh no oh. let me just i'm just gonna have to walk across the room rebecca and just go and tear off the slip hold on a minute question. that's me walking He's back running um, back over yeah with the um the slip in my hand again apologies i mean at least they've been quite spaced out um mm. okay <laughs> oh no okay which Okay, this is, I mean, these questions are random. I don't have sight of them beforehand at all. And this is the latest one. Um, which orange came first, the fruit or the colour? <laughs> what? <laughs> that is mind 
Boggling. I am actually, I feel like I, I mean, I've never taken mushrooms, but I, I feel like I, it might be what it's like. My mind is now going is to... Is there actually a, a definitive answer? <laughs> um... Well, let's think. Let's think for a minute about this. Break it down, Rebecca. I mean, well, you're you're a person that you know can do this. I mean, uh, and this is live. Although this is recorded, it's live right now. So just think on the spot. I mean, uh, this you know the orange. So you th- you not think, but you be- you're you're saying that the orange came first, and then somebody <laughs> named it that afterwards. Is that what you're alluding to? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> No, you don't sound convinced. No, it's just by the noises that you're making that I sense un- un- uncertainty uh, within your expression. Oh, well, lockdown has been a long one and um, I'm perhaps not quite as sharp today as normal. No, I, I, I would I would tend to a degree. And I think you were, in your uncertainty, you, what you're almost doing is fair to say, I believe, kind of pushing the question back in my direction slightly, weren't you? Uh, so, <laughs> which, which is, you, I think you've very, very good interpersonal skills. That was subtly done, Rebecca. Thank um, you. I, I do uh, concur, actually. I think, um, to share the burden of this question with you, I, I, I do think that the the fruit came first mm. and, and, and latterly it may have been named, mm. uh, let's call this an orange. I mean, um, I'll tell you what we could do. Um, uh, you can't Google um, it. Uh, no, we can because we've already answered the question. What we came first, orange? Um, um, is it etymology? Etymology. Um, orange etymology. Um, late Middle English from the Old French orange, uh, as in the phrase "pomme de orange," based on the Arabic "narange" from the Persian "narang." Mm-hmm. Um, so the origin of orange is Persian, then Arabic, then Old French. And then to late Middle English. Okay. Originating um, from the fruit. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, they, it goes back even further than that, but I think that might be a different podcast. Uh, it's great, mm. But yeah, so it's Persian, Arabic, that. Old French. So I do believe that it's the, the fruit that came first. Uh, and then because the fruit was so ubiquitous um, that people kind of named it, named the colour orange. Orange. <laughs> oh God, that was loose. I was on shaky ground towards the end of that. But um, I was convinced. What a fascinating question! It was what fascinating. fascinating. That was, uh, yeah. I mean, it got me think. It got me thinking. Really thinking. Yeah, I think it's one of the best questions that the random generator, yeah. the random question generator, it's has so ever generated. Today, yeah. um, I'm going to ask you a couple of a couple of rapid fire questions here. Oh, gosh, um, nothing okay. to stress about. Well, I'm still um, stressed about the orange. Uh, yeah, I'm still thinking about that. I've put that. Another part of my brain is still trying to process um, a sufficient answer to that one. Um, Favourite place to ride your bike? Hernhill Velodrome. Really? Oh, I didn't expect that to come out. Yeah. No? Yeah. Okay. It's a place, uh, why? It's a place why? that I made, I made so many friends in London when I was living there. And we used to go a few times a week. And Saturday mornings, not only do you um, get to ride quick on a track bike, but you have loads of cups of tea in between. And right. it's not the most exotic location. And since it was resurfaced, you can get away of riding there in the rain in all weathers. Um, but it's such an incredible community. And I just, it's my happy place. Uh, great answer I, I, again i think a lot of my fondest memories of of uh of, of riding with people it, it's just the, it's just the fun that you have with, with with 
with other like-minded people, with other bike riders, having a brew, having a bit exactly. of a chinwag before and after. It is, it's special, isn't it? Um, what, what am I like to work with? Ah, fantastic, fabulous, flamboyant. Um, can we get a ting there, please, Niall? Thank you. That's correct. Uh, moving on. Um, right. Okay. This is t- slightly tangential, but you know, I'm just going to give you two words. Uh, Disney angry. Talk to me about it. <laughs> oh, goodness. You've gone there. Okay. So when you and I get together on a Zoom call, we often frequent the Zoom um, whilst holding a glass of something alcoholic. Yep. And as the drinks... Uh, you know, go down very well. I sometimes try to introduce music into the Zoom, which never yeah. works, as you know, because actually I think Zoom, through copyright, tech issues, will block your ability to hear what the other person is playing remotely. So you wouldn't be able to hear, for example, that I was putting on the Disney Moana soundtrack <laughs> or uh, The Little Mermaid, yeah. for example. So what I'll yeah. then do is is sing it to you, which sometimes may come across a little bit aggressive because I just want you to appreciate it as much as I do. And I don't feel like that's often the case. Yeah, I mean, it's. I had to mention it because I first came across. It doesn't only happen on Zoom. Mm. It, it's a. It's a. It's, it's a phenomenon. It's happened when we've been out on the town mm. in London. We've been when we've been down to see you. Um, as the evening progresses and people get a little bit merry through imbibing mm. alcohol, um, and we're listening to music, you become. You know, first first of all, you might just suggest we listen to uh, we listen to a couple of Disney numbers, which is fine, and then. <laughs> Fast forward half an hour to an hour, and generally toward the end of the evening, you actually get ever so slightly angry <laughs> if we don't play Disney music. That's so. So, I mean, your partner Paul and, and, and Holly quite often have to kind of mitigate and try and we have to actually give you some space to play Disney songs um, while we're rolling our eyes. Uh, but it can be quite scary. Anyway, there we go. That's Disney angry. Um, um, Netflix tips. You, sp- you spent a lot of time in lockdown, as we yeah. all did, watching other streaming services are available, of course. But give us a big tip. I, Somebody- can't. I can't because every time I say what I'm watching, people make me feel really guilty because they say no, there's there's no, such bad. There's no-, no, there is a wrong answer. I, okay, so I really enjoyed Emily in Paris. But okay, do not even... go and watch it because you're you're basically <laughs> not want to be friends with me anymore. And that's all what right. keeps happening when I do Netflix recommendations. Um, I mean, let's go a little bit old school, Breaking Bad, because I know people respect that. So that's one of those where I'm going to say my guilty pleasure, but actually go with Breaking Bad because I might get a little bit more respect for that. Okay. Um, Great. Okay. So Emily in Paris, (laughs) on one hand, Breaking Bad, uh, clearly um, on the other. The Disney Um, in me has gone for Emily in Paris. I mean, you've talked a little bit about what, I mean... I know you're a big advocate of Prosecco. We know that. Yeah. Um, what else outside of Prosecco and cycling that you haven't talked about today oh. to wrap things up really lights your fire, Rebecca? What do you absolutely love? It could be something that you've kind of, that, that you've never really spoken to uh, people about, or is it something that you might have discovered in lockdown? What's something special to you that you've never really spoken to people about? So something that I never really talk about is the fact that I was gonna I say I always wanted to be a journalist there was a point where I wanted to be an artist and I am quite into my fine art and I love portraiture I love painting and drawing portraits Um, and I took a couple of commissions during the first lockdown 
and revisiting yes. my artistic roots. So I absolutely adore sitting um, with a paintbrush for a few hours. And it's something that I keep saying I need to sort of dedicate more time to and do a little bit more. So, yeah, art is my thing that I don't often talk about. Yes, because I, I spotted, I think it was during a Zoom um, in the early days of lockdown in the corner of your house, of your apartment, that there was this picture on the wall. And this might have been a, actually... I don't know, it might have even been longer, a, a slightly longer time ago. And I noticed this picture. Is it? It's like looking down the barrel of a gun, isn't yeah. it? Um, and I saw that on the wall and thought, that's cool. And I said, where'd you get that from? And he, and he said, casually, as you do, because you're a very <laughs> modest person. Uh, oh, I drew that. And it was like, oh, another. What else cannot this, can this woman not do? For crying out loud. So, um, so is that something that You're you lovely. kind of sort of dip in and out of or is it something how lo- how long have you been passionate about art yeah i um it was something that i it was one of the things i just excelled in at school really i just absolutely adored it and i would kind of just look at something and this is when i was very young you start doing your, your art lessons and i would just look at something and just sort of draw it how it was i don't know that sounds like a not a very articulate way of explaining it but people used to say did you do that and I and I was so young at that point, I was like, yeah, I just copied it. So I used to just sort of start by copying other people's you know, photographs or something like that. Mm. Um, and so then I started drawing people and did a lot of sort of life studies and life drawing. And I just found this sort of like, you know, I just found a passion for it. And I loved seeing something come out that looked like the person and I could really get their personality in. And so I guess that sort of crosses over a little bit in what I do and loving people's stories and personality and drawing that out. And I think art does that as well. And I know you're very into your art and I think that it is that expression of personality. Um, so that's something that I, yeah, I always loved since school. And again, just sort of goes on the back burner when I'm busy with with my with my real job but it is something I'd like to to do more and yeah the painting that you saw on the wall it's sort of monochrome in black acrylic and it's a a big pupil of an eye staring down the barrel of a gun um and yeah it it was one of those where I sat down and just spent hours and hours and hours doing until I was happy with it and then sort of parked it and then didn't do any art for ages so I I get very much in the zone have to complete a piece of work and then I'll, yeah, then I'll not do it again for months. So it's a bizarre one. But there's there's loads of shows on TV that I'm hooked on watching. Um, uh, there's one on Sky Arts, Portrait Artist of the Year. And yes, that would be my dream to to get onto that. Like that would be a, an absolute outside of cycling dream. I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Sky Arts, actually. I was on YouTube last night. I I'd, um, had a very, very late night. I was watching uh, a kind of mini documentary on Hans Holbein, of course, the mm-hmm. favourite, um, well, the, the artist that famously painted Henry VIII's court, amongst other things. Um, and I woke up in the middle of a, of a Goya uh, documentary at like half past two in the morning. <laughs> so uh, I am consuming a lot of art, and I, I love it. And I'm very late to the game, obviously being aware of aware of the world of art for a very long time, but never been so. I just feel it's just it's just wonderful, and it's uh, I'm I'm enjoying exploring it, um, especially especially during these last difficult months. Mm, uh, Rebecca, it's been an absolute blast um, waffling to you like this. It's something we've never done before in this formal sense, but it doesn't actually feel formal at all. It's been really really enjoyable. I've learned a lot a lot about you, uh, and I hope the people that have listened have learned a bit more about you too. And then hopefully they'll go and explore um, some of the new projects that you're doing as well, um, which which look fantastic. And the last thing that I'd like to do, if possible, this is something new that we're trialing uh, on, on, on the podcast. Obviously, we're going to pop this out in a few weeks' time. 
and we have a little bit of a, so, a mini social media campaign around each each podcast. So while you're on the pod, would you mind picking up your phone mm-hmm. and actually getting your phone in landscape, if your phone's uh, to hand, and doing um, like a 15, 20 second introduction to the podcast when, for when it goes live. Just say, I'm Rebecca Chattleton, maybe say Charlton. <laughs> um, I've, I've been chatting to Matt Stevens on Sigma Sports, on his Sigma Sports Unplugged podcast. You can watch it now. Uh, and then just riff off that, maybe 15 seconds. Just, just and, um, riff that off. Yeah, so just landscape with your laptop, um, with the Zencaster page open, with you and your microphone, um, and away you go. Oh, gosh, no pressure. Is everyone no pressure, done this but, live? Uh, a couple have, but you, I think you're the second or third person. No, it's well, not always think, going to plan. You'd think I'd be able to do it, wouldn't you? I mean, that would be... That would be so ideal kind of like, for a presenter to be able to It's do like this. the pressure of, of working live, Rebecca. So, uh, Hello, everyone. I'm Rebecca Charlton, and I am right now live on Matt Stevens' Unplug Sigma Sports podcast. You can watch it right now. Wonderful. Thanks very much indeed, Rebecca. We shall, we shall use that or a variation upon it. No, that, that was wonderful. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it, Rebecca. It's been, it's been lovely having a chat with you today. So lovely. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, just a reminder of your social media handles. Um, Instagram, Becca Charlton underscore Insta. Twitter, Becca Charlton. Um, Rebecca Charlton on everything else. <laughs> oh, I, I, Niall just sent me a text. You said, watch the podcast. We're going to leave that in. We're going to leave it in. We're... <laughs> gonna leave that in oh, oh see the beauty of live this is live oh, no. i've messed that so right we, up i'll do you another one it. i'll do you another we, one you can do me another one afterwards don't worry and we can look for the best but rebecca it's been an absolute blast um i can't wait to put this out and see what people think but um thanks again for your time and uh, i'll catch up with you very very soon take care thank you i'm gonna google oranges now <laughs> bye matt cheers well there you have it if you're ever on a boozy Zoom call with Bex, you better bring her own Disney music or she'll be very upset indeed. Now, it's interesting that her dream is to be on Portrait Artist of the Year. Is that your dream too? Well, why not get in touch with her on the Twitter at Becca Charlton and let her know with the easy to remember hashtag. I listened to the Rebecca Charlton episode of Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged podcast and it's my dream to be on Portrait Artist of the Year too. Or, to simplify... Hashtag I-L-T-T-R-C-E-O-S-S-P-M-S-U-P-A-I-M-D-T-B-O-P-A-O-Y-T-Y-T. Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod and why not recommend it to your cycling buddies or to a ringed plover if you happen to see one pecking around on a beach reproducing with a mate near you. Finally, a massive thanks again to Bex for joining us on the podcast today. It really was a lot of fun. Cheers all, stay safe, and goodbye.